Hi everyone, I'm Randy Neewen, President of Randy's Cabinets and Woodworks in Grand Rapids, Minnesota, and a board member for the Cabinet Makers Association. I'd like to welcome you to Episode 7 of Pro Cabinet Maker, a podcast produced by CMA each month. We'll chat with some outstanding industry professionals about the issues and challenges impacting their businesses, as well as success stories to inspire. Today, my guest is Guy Busey, Chief Executive Officer at InnovaBed in Gilderland, New York. I'm looking forward to the discussion, so welcome to the podcast, Guy. How are you? Doing good. How are you? Good. Came to your shop a few years ago with the CMA, and I was pretty impressed, I have to admit. Came in with the big eyes and big ears, and seen a lot of great things at your shop. Most importantly, how you're a great leader. You lead with servant leadership. How do you get people to to follow? Yeah, so servant leadership is something we're actually kind of in the process of working on and evolving right now with our leadership group and beyond our leadership group, even with you know our newer people that have started in the last two to three days or people that have been there for a year that are kind of going into it and really you know diving and kind of continuing to grow on our knowledge and understanding of that servant leadership mentality. And, you know, it starts with obviously you as the the leader or the owner or CEO or whatever you are within your company, having the best understanding that you can have of what servant leadership is. And ultimately, whatever you're trying to teach or implement, you need to have an unbelievable amount of knowledge and understanding of that before you start to kind of preach or push that on to other people and ultimately want to practice it and, you know, do it yourself, not a, you know, do as I say, but not as I do type of scenario. But it's something that, you know, it, it takes time. It's not a quick thing that you can do within your company. Obviously you're in there putting in the groundwork, putting in the legwork and really during that time, kind of assessing people that you want to see grow into leadership positions. And then ultimately pushing what leadership truly is. Leadership isn't being a boss. It's not being a manager. It's not being a supervisor. It's not giving you this miraculous chip that all of a sudden gets planted onto your shoulder because you have some arbitrary title now that you think you have power or entitlement over other people. It's the complete opposite. In our view, we're actually looking at as a leader as being somebody who's being taken out of the value added portion of our company and being put in to help all of those that are actually providing value to our customer, the ones that are making things and cutting boards and screwing boards together and packaging our product and making sure that they have everything that they need in order to do their jobs to the best of their ability. And some kind of quick ways that you can see within your company if you're lacking that servant leadership mentality which a lot of people do, and it's, it's a very good indicator for you, is if you have somebody who's, let's say, on your assembly line, or you have a saw operator, or an edge band operator, or you know, machine operator, and that person is leaving their station and needing to go get something, or needing to ask for something, or doesn't understand what they are doing, then your leadership is failing, because your leadership is not providing them either the information, tools, or material that they need in order to perform their jobs. And that that's something that takes some time. And, and, and what we're personally dealing with right now is getting to the understanding of 
you know, what it means to actually be a leader. And not everybody's built to be a leader. Unfortunately, in our society and definitely our business community, if you're good at your job, which means that you might be a really good saw operator, all of a sudden, if you have multiple saws in your facility, now that person becomes the head saw operator or the, you know, the, the saw manager. Just because somebody's good at their job doesn't necessarily make them good at being able to manage other people doing their jobs, if that makes sense. And yes. unfortunately, we have a tendency to kind of hire people just one level above where they would actually succeed. And we kind of hire, 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 hire until that person sucks. And then we're like, oh, this person sucks. When the reality is, is we did them an injustice by being more methodical and slower and actually truly understanding where their skill set lies and who they are. And that's one thing that we're really, really focusing on and working on with our leadership currently, meaning me with my leadership and making sure that I'm not pushing them too far above what their current capability is. But at the same time, as I give more autonomy and more responsibility to our current leadership, that they're then not in turn doing that same thing to people that are working their way up into higher positions as well. Do you hire people that have worked at larger companies that, let's say, use the saw operator as an example, someone who you might have five saws, but he has handled a hundred saws, you know, so that they can see the larger picture versus someone that has only watched it grow and it can only see that adding the sixth, seventh, eighth saw. Yeah. And like, you know, so experience is always great, but it's kind of a double-edged sword because a lot of people who have experience, you know, it goes back to that leadership role and we see it all the time. You know, you have a person that's, you know, been in the industry for 30 years. Well, that's great that you've been in the industry for 30 years, but if you can't get people to rally behind you and you can't motivate the people in that area, or you can't just on a fundamental level, get those people to respect you then they're never going to have the ability or want to absorb that 30 years of information. And the, the analogy I kind of like to give to that is, you know, you're in the middle of New York City walking down the street and you see a person on the sidewalk talking to themselves. The reality is, is that might actually be the smartest human being that's ever walked this planet. They could be an absolute genius. We have no idea what they are talking about. But I mean, literally, they could be the world's smartest human being. But the fact that they don't have the ability to show or express to other people that they are the world's smartest human being, they're just that crazy person talking to themselves on the side of the street. So experience is great, but it's only great if you can actually get people to listen and take that information and that experience that you have. So what we look for is ultimately a good attitude and a good aptitude. And I would much rather have a person that has five days worth of experience, but can get 10 to 12 people to rally behind them and respect them and listen to things that they say than the person that might be the world's greatest saw operator, but can't work with anybody and is massively difficult and causes frustration or friction with everybody else inside of your facility. Do you feel that... Most people that are in my shoes, the cabinet shops, we are our limitations. We limit our company to growth based on what we're allowing to grow, that micromanagement aspect of things. You know, it's funny because outside of our industry, you know, panel processing, woodworking, 
funny enough, you know, my brewery that I have, you can actually see it more. So you get a lot of people, brewers specifically, that either worked at a other brewery or another company and really enjoy brewing, or they were a home brewer and they want to open their own brewery. Well, you have to ask yourself, do you really want to open a brewery or do you love to just brew, right? Because the second that you open a brewery, it doesn't become about brewing beer anymore. If that's your passion and that's your hobby, that's great. But you can't be stuck with your head inside of a kettle brewing beer all day long when you have payroll, when you have customers, when you have a front of the house, when there's a massive marketing and sales push that goes behind that. It's then a business, right? So I think in a lot of instances inside of our industry, you know, the cabinet industry, you get a lot of people that really loved to make cabinets, loved to make furniture, loved the trade that then are like, oh, let me start my own business. And they don't ever take into account that, okay, in order to have my own business, I'm probably not going to be a business of one person or just myself. I want to build a business because I want it to grow. I want it to scale and I need to be able to bring people in. So ultimately we need to become good leaders, good communicators and good teachers and showers of what we're trying to accomplish. And then, you know, obviously there's the administrative aspect of it. There's the customer service aspect of it. There's the sales and marketing aspect of it that I don't necessarily think our industry thinks about and contemplates before they make the pledge to open their own cabinet shop. And the second that they can get their mind off, hey, I'm not just building cabinets anymore, but I'm actually a business person trying to run a business and there are multiple facets to this business and I need to probably focus a little bit more on how do I grow and scale my business versus how do I build this cabinet, you would start to see a lot more places succeed or you'd start to see a lot of people realize that they don't actually want to be a business owner, they just want to build cabinets. And, you know, it translates very well to when we talk about leadership, everybody wants to grow within their company they want to make more money. They want to have more responsibility. But if we do a really good job of actually showing what leadership is, we probably won't have as many people that want to go down that path because they know that that's not what works for them or what motivates them or what they're good at. And it's our responsibility to show that yes, through management, through you know supervision and leadership and those things that is one potential growth path but that there's also technical skilled paths that don't require us to necessarily manage other people and that's also just as good if not you know a better opportunity for you to grow within your company as well so what what are some of your past experiences that you feel have really shaped you as a leader as a good strong leader yeah so i joined the marine corps right out of high school when in the Marine Corps, the Marine Corps specifically out of all branches of the military is very focused on leadership. Being that it's such a small form of the military, meaning only 200 to 250,000 people are in the military at any given time versus the army or Navy, which are in the 2 million at a time. It's very, very tiny, which obviously gives us kind of that tight knit mentality that we have when, you know, when Marines talk about things and ultimately the only path within the Marine Corps is through leadership and they drill and teach leadership from absolute day one. So they do a very good job of teaching and showing you how to be a leader. But beyond that, most people who serve in the military 
also have a common interest of wanting to help or do something, you know, bigger than themselves, right? And that's one really good way for you to identify people inside of your facility that are going to become really good leaders is they have this incredible need to want to help others. They have a really great empathy towards others and an understanding for others. And they might be the one that is the advocate and pushing back towards you for all of them. And those people that create friction or the, or the ones that kind of open their mouths and actually push back on you a little bit to kind of protect everybody else, they're showing great leadership traits within there. And they might not necessarily be the greatest at their task that they're doing, or they might not be the most competent and proficient as far as like, you know, being a saw operator, right? To continue to use that. But that doesn't mean that they're not the world's greatest leader and person that can help to manage and get the things and do that servant aspect of leadership that other really good saw operators need. So absolutely my military background gave me the foundation for understanding of what leadership truly is. And, you know, as a leader in the, in the Marine Corps, you're obviously setting up patrols and doing things like that when you're in Iraq, but you are spending much more time making sure that your team has everything that they need, that, you know, they've gotten all of the PPE equipment that they have, that they're eating three meals a day, that they're getting an efficient amount of water, that literally they have the socks on their feet that they need so that their feet stay protected inside of their boots all day long. And you become much more of a parental figure and somebody who's helping to protect and give those people what they need versus somebody who's looking at a spreadsheet and just trying to, you know, hit the numbers that they said they needed to hit that day. When you came out of the military, you started at an oval bed a few days later. Did you think that it would challenge your leadership abilities the way it has? Yeah. To be honest with you, I had no idea how much of a challenge it was going to be. I'd never really had any civilian work environment experience. I had always been in sports and had always kind of, you know, played golf semi-professionally. It was a full ride to Arizona State before I joined the Marine Corps. And, you know, a team in high school, you're a team. Those are your buddies. You hang out with them. Much more of a family. And, you know, in my particular case of brotherhood, same thing with the Marine Corps. You're eating, sleeping, living, breathing you know, going to these people's homes and seeing their families and meeting their wives and girlfriends and there for them when they have their children. And it, it's much more family-based, much more brotherly, kind of brother and sister-based than it is just, you know, clocking in at nine o'clock, working with these bunch of people that you never really create a relationship with, and then clocking back out, forgetting about it, and walking away. And that was a huge shock to me and just something that was so foreign to me when I did join Inova and kind of my first real civilian experience or real, you know, kind of workforce experience. And, you know, I focused very hard on the area that, you know, I had control and the ability to. A lot of people have a tendency to go too far outside their circle, start pointing the finger too far out and blaming things that are too far outside of their control versus focusing on the areas that they could. And my particular case was being a supervisor for three other people in our small little section of our subassembly area. And I focused on the three of us. You know, we became very, very tight knit. I made sure that those guys had everything that they need. I was an advocate for them. I went to bat. I listened to, you know, their gripes and complaints about, you know, not having sharp tooling, about needing a bench that's a little bit higher because their back's hurting them all day. All kind of the very minor things 
that really start to frustrate a person throughout the day and ultimately take away from their ability to do the work that they're supposed to be providing and made sure that I was kind of their biggest cheerleader, their biggest fan, and their biggest advocate for making sure that I was being able to correct all those things that took them away from being able to you know, do the best that they could at their jobs. And slowly through time, that built respect and they started to trust me. And ultimately when we needed a push or we needed to stay an extra hour in order to get something done, nobody questioned, nobody hesitated, we got it done. And when you do that and you focus on what you can control, if you're in a good company and, you know, or if you're building a good company, then people will recognize that and they will see that and you will get more of an opportunity to help kind of spread and be able to take that mentality to a larger scale as you continue on. So basically you took challenges or obstacles and you basically found solutions to the little things. And that made you guys a better team because whenever you had an obstacle, you just addressed it, hit it head on, went for it, and uh, just done chipping away at the little things? Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, in Lean, we call it continuous improvement. And inside of our facility, everybody does that for an hour every single day, each of us individually now, which literally allows us to move mountains. And the amount of progress that we've made is out of this world. But yes, I mean, you know, I call it paralysis by analysis. At some point, you've got to stop thinking about it and stop analyzing it and actually go out there and do it. Engineers are kind of the best example for that. You know, they want to sit behind a computer and look at the different, you know, stress measurements, bend points, and just sit there. And it's like, you've got an entire factory out there where you could build this physical thing that you're looking at on a computer and just see if the thing's going to break or not. So you guys have done a really good job bringing it as close as you possibly can on the computer. Now get out there and get it built and see if it works in the real world, right? You got to do that same thing with leadership and with any obstacle that comes your way. You know, Ultimately, if you have an idea, you've thought through that idea to the point where you know it's a solid idea. Now go out there and try. And I have tried a million things that didn't work. But the greatest part about that was getting out there, trying, having it fail, understanding why it failed, learning why it failed, and then being able to go back to the drawing board, make the adjustment and fix why it failed. And then we get to the solution. So, you know, sometimes it works right off the rip and your first go at it is what you hoped it would be and it, and it, and it works and it moves forward. And then sometimes, you know, it might take five, six, 10, 15 times for you to get it right. But if you don't get started and you don't actually just do it, then you're going to sit there and you're going to contemplate about it forever and you're never going to get anything accomplished. Don't look in the rear view mirror, put your bootstraps on and get it done, right? Yeah. I mean, and you know, the, the Marine Corps, if you hesitate, you die. So to kind of put it to a very extreme level, if you hesitate or you don't follow your training or you don't do what you're supposed to in a combat situation, I mean, you'll get yourself killed or you'll get the people around you killed. So there you have no time for hesitation. Obviously, I think, you know, subconsciously and consciously that's kind of followed me into my civilian life, obviously not as dire of circumstances, but it's still a very, very good principle that'll help you accomplish a lot. What are some of the passions that you came up with at Innova and your other businesses that have kept you pushing forward and keep you drowning the way that you push? It's funny. Obviously, I'm like a serial hobbyist. And I guess that's what you would call it because I've, you know, between beer making, between woodworking, between rock climbing, between Ironmans and cycling, 
I have a ton of different hobbies that have always kind of kept me out there and kept me going. And three of them at this point have actually turned into businesses. So obviously woodworking being Inova, which we're talking about, I brewed beer for a really long time, I actually started brewing beer as a therapeutic hobby. When I got home from Iraq, just kind of something to, to keep me busy and keep my mind busy. And about two and a half years ago, we started a brewery. And just recently, obviously physical fitness and working out and athletic stuff has always been something I've done my entire life. And about eight months ago, we opened up a gym in our area. So a lot of those really cool hobbies, I've been able to transition into businesses, which I'm finding out one of my hobbies and things that I'm interested in is, is starting and operating businesses, which has been pretty cool. But I think there needs to be a decent balance between work life, the things that you want to do personally for yourself, and then ultimately your family life. And what I have found is that when I have a personal goal, be it to run an Ironman or my current goal, which is happening actually in four weeks today, 30 days out, I have my first uh, men's physique competition. When I have a personal goal or something that I'm striving for, my businesses have always done better and my family life has gotten better. So I think making sure you're taking that time for yourself, setting up things correctly, gives you just a better well-rounded ability to be a better leader and ultimately have a better business. Keep your passions alive because they keep your mind fresh. Yeah. And there's, you know, a lot of what we're talking about today, if you're a slave to your company and you can't get out of your own way of micromanagement and you're not doing a good job teaching and bringing on leadership that can help you with your day-to-day -day tasks, then you're always just going to have the excuse, well, I can't do anything because I'm too busy. You know, people suck. I can never find anybody good. Whatever million excuses everybody comes up with in order to not have to succeed then you know that's what's gonna happen. But if you truly want to succeed, you truly wanna be able to have your own personal time and do things that you are passionate about, then that's when you need to get in there. And leadership is 100% the place to start because you can't do everything yourself. You have to have good people in there that can help you get those things done. And the cool part about it is, is once you put those people in place, you'll actually get your life back and have the opportunity to do other things. Guy, what is one thing that you can tell us was probably the thing that you felt, and to get more personal, like maybe your biggest failure at InnovaBet that you probably overcame by now, but it has changed you or shaped you on how you even handle your manufacturing process, how you handle your employees there? What is that one thing that you feel like was the greatest thing you overcame at your company to shape your company? Yeah, so it was... October 5th, 2015, <laughs> specifically, we had had a job going out to a, a Marriott in Chicago somewhere. I had really, really started to dive into lean Toyota production system, going down the whole belt system and really starting to just absorb a ton of knowledge there. And it kind of jived really well with my brain and how my brain works and kind of ultimately my philosophy and it just, you know, Lean makes a ton of sense to me and Toyota production system made a ton of sense to me. And where I was at the time, meaning my position within the company, I didn't necessarily have full autonomy in order to push that type of manufacturing to our facility. And with Toyota production, you know, the, the TPS system, Toyota production system, lean manufacturing, it is kind of an all or nothing approach. And there's things that you can do inside of your area 
continuous improvement, those type of things. But to make it actually something that's extremely fruitful, it's got to be from the top down. Everybody has to buy in and really do it. And Lauren, who's my partner now at Inova and was the, the sole owner at the time, just, you know, he's definitely got the micromanagement gene in him and he's got, he's got a lot of the stuff that you see a ton of people that start businesses have. And working on this job, it was about 3 a.m. I'm literally in the back spray booth, spraying panels. And I remember him calling me from New York City and asking me if I was going to be able to get it done in time. And it was the first time in my life that I literally couldn't say like, yes, I will get it done. And I kind of went through my head and was like, I don't know how this is going to happen. And had to tell him like, I don't think I can get it done. And I will tell you that was probably the most gut-wrenching thing I had ever gone through in my life. I just... I've always gotten it done. He ended up taking a train up, tagged me out at about five o'clock in the morning. I went home, slept for an hour and a half, kissed my family, went back, loaded the truck, hopped on a plane, flew out to Chicago, did the installation in Chicago. I think I went through like six different installers that I just bulldozed in the ground in order to get this thing finished in just an unbelievably unrealistic timeline and came back. I don't like to push ultimatums. There has to be a very severe scenario for you to come with an ultimatum. But at that point, it was just either they give me the opportunity to bring lean and bring the Toyota production system in the way that I can see doing manufacturing into our facility, or it's probably time for me to go to somewhere else and talk to Lauren about it. And that's when they backed off. And probably the absolute worst experience I ever had at Inova became the most positive experience because of that changed your entire life for the better. Oh gosh, yeah. My life, Inova's life, everybody inside that place's life. <laughs> What's the future hold for you, Guy? What is uh, some projects you're working on now? So we just expanded another 30,000 square feet. So we're a little over 105,000 square feet now. Uh, we started a residential line for direct-to-consumer line, which we're super excited about. So kind of diversifying our sales stream and, and where our sales revenue comes from. And we've really wanted to get our product to kind of the end user residential market and not just be solely commercial based. So we're, we're super excited. We just launched a new website and uh, sales are going really well. And we've got beds going all over the place to different homes inside the U.S., which is just really, really cool. And you also have a YouTube channel. I watched a little bit on that. That is <laughs> That's exciting too. So. Yeah, it is. It's it's a ton of work. I've uh, I've been a little uh, laxical days on it for the last month or two, just because prep for show. It's pretty intense, and uh, we did the expansion and stuff like that. But it's it's been cool. It's been nice to document it, and hopefully, you know, the sole purpose of it is to show people that if you say you don't have enough time, well, I call bullcrap because we get a lot accomplished. And the one common denominator we all have is we all have the same amount of time. So. Hopefully it motivates people to stop making excuses and, uh, and do the things that they want to do. <laughs> I want to thank God again for joining us. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. And thanks to everyone listening to this episode of Pearl Cabinet Maker. Join us each month as we discuss trends that impact the woodworking industry. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And if you'd like more information about the Cabinet Makers Association, be sure to visit us online at cabinetmakers.org. See you next time. <laughs>